Hello and welcome to the Faith Bridge Sermon Podcast. I'm sitting here with Duffy Robbins, who just preached a great message on what it means to run the race with single-minded pursuit. Let's listen in now. Happy New Year. Hi, good morning. Merry Christmas. Good to see you. You're looking good this morning. Thanks so much for making it through the rain and the cold. And those of you who are joining us online, we are delighted you're here to worship with us at Faith Bridge. It was May 13, 2011. 35-year-old Brett Henderson was standing uh, in the middle of downtown Cincinnati, right next to Paul Brown Stadium, surrounded by thousands of people, all of them at the starting line uh, for the Flying Pig Marathon. This is one of the largest events, marathon events in the country. And uh, Henderson was a veteran runner, but uh, that morning, uh, despite his competition in numerous marathon events, uh, he made a decision pre-race that uh, turned out to be a, a costly uh, decision. For some reason, he chose that morning to run in a pair of his father's running shorts. Uh, They were borrowed shorts. Fit wasn't great, a little bit loose, uh, but he figured, hey, just tie them up, should be be no problem. And at first, everything was fine. Um, He was right on pace. Uh, In fact, it wasn't about 10 miles into the race that he began to notice the chafing. And... uh, And uh, then uh, the sweat from the race, uh, the wear from the running was beginning to sort of take its toll. Uh, The shorts started to droop and then sag uh, and then uh, began to actually fall down off of his waist. And of course, he would uh, each time uh, hitch them back up a little bit, but every time he hiked them up, uh, they would just uh, drop back down. And uh, and sure enough, somewhere uh, between mile 10 and mile 11, his shorts just completely fell off. Just completely fell off. Now you might be thinking, oh wow, what a, what a horrible way to have to drop out of a race. That's not the way Brett Henderson saw it. He, he thought, hey, that lightens my load just slightly. Uh, it's only 15, 16 more miles, who's gonna notice? And, 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 and actually, I will say this in a nod to modesty, he actually took off his T-shirt and wrapped that around his waist that worked marvelously, uh, except that uh, within another mile or so, the, the shirt had also fallen off of him. And that's when spectators in the crowd were treated to the odd, and I'm guessing unpleasant sight of a man running through the streets of downtown Cincinnati with little more on than socks and running shoes. Uh, yeah, I know. Thank you for that response. And now at this point, uh, a less dedicated marathoner uh, might have pulled out of the race, but not Brett. He goes, hey, look, it's only a few more miles. You're, you're kind of in this thing to win it. And, 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 and that's when the police got involved. Uh, yeah, they, they started running after Brett, yelling at him to stop, but of course being pursued in the nude uh, by uh, running law enforcement officers only motivated him to pick up his pace. Uh, some said it was his best mile ever. Uh, actually, he, he kept running, and then he kept running, and he kept running. He didn't stop running until police uh, actually said, you either stop running or we're going to taser you. But even that didn't motivate him to stop running. He kept on running until they finally did taser him, carted him off to the Hamilton County Justice Center, where he was charged with public indecency and disorderly 
conduct. His, his trial actually uh, came up uh, a few months later in the fall of 2011. As I read the story, the judge sentenced Henderson to uh, community service, probation, restitution for the race fee, because it turns out he hadn't actually paid to enter the race. Uh, I guess he figured there's no cover. But anyway, uh, and, and, uh, anyway uh, and he was ordered to never, ever run again in the Flying Pig Marathon to the great relief of the citizens of Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I don't know what you think about when you hear a story like that, uh, but what, what strikes me uh, when I first read it, what really jumped out at me was Henderson's answer to what I think we would all agree is the obvious question, which is this. When the press asked him, why was it when the police chased you and threatened to tase you, why didn't you stop running when your pants fell off? And his answer was classic. He said, I wasn't willing to give up. I wasn't going to give up over something so small as a pair of running shorts. I wasn't going to give up over something so small as a pair of running shorts. Now, that's kind of good down to one of the great statements of history. There's give me liberty, give me death, nothing to fear but fear itself, and not giving up over just a pair of running shorts. I, I don't know, um, you know, when you hear a story like that, maybe you think to yourself, well, by golly, maybe, maybe I... I Maybe I should run a marathon, uh, or, or maybe I really can do my New Year's Eve resolution, or maybe I really should go out and, and buy a pair of properly fitting running gear. Uh, but, but, but what strikes me about it is this absolute, this absolute sense. No one can, whatever else you might think about Brett Henderson, what happened that day in the Flying Pig Marathon, you got to give the guy some props for this. Nobody can deny that what he had was a clear sense of determination. This guy was committed to finishing the race. He was committed to finishing the race. And it's that, it's that uh, little picture, that vivid picture of single-minded pursuit that points us to one idea and one verse I want us to consider this morning as we go to God's word. The very last day, the finish line of 2018, uh, coming up very, very shortly and very shortly behind it, the very first day, the starting line of 2018. 19. What would it look like? What would it look like for us in 2019 to run a race of single-minded pursuit in the name of Jesus Christ? What would it look like for us to, to go all out for Jesus? We saw our journey in 2019 with single-minded determination to give our lives totally, wholly, to Jesus. We're going to focus primarily on that one idea with one verse uh, for our time together this morning. To, to, to sort of take a look at that verse, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, by the way, these folks are coming down the aisle in the hopes that you will just raise your hand. We'll make sure that you get one. Just shoot your hand up. We'd love you to have that as a gift from us here at Faith Bridge. Just keep it. And this will allow you to follow along this morning in the text. Philippians is in the New Testament, kind of near the back. It's a little short, little short little book. Philippians chapter 3. And to give us a sense of context this morning, we're going to actually read a larger section of chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It begins appropriately enough on this last Sunday of the year with the word finally. Finally, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. 
Look out for those dogs. Look out for those evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Pay special attention to these next few words, verse 12. Not that I've already attained all this, or that I've already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, let me just say right off the bat this morning that uh, Sylvia, you're probably looking at my body and thinking to yourself, if he thinks he's going to preach to us this morning about running. Uh, I think it might be difficult for me to take him seriously. Uh, but I want to simply start out with a proposition. Every one of us in this room is in a race. All of us in this room are in a race. And on the eve of the final day of this year, this passage strikes me as a great reminder, a great opportunity to look ahead, to look forward to look behind and to think about the race we are running. This passage in Philippians chapter 3, especially verse 13, poses, I think, what is the most important question that any of us consider at this point in the journey, and that's this. What would it be like to live a commitment single-mindedly in pursuit of Christ? What would it mean to live all out for, for Jesus, to run the race with single-minded focus, right at the heart of this passage we read this morning in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says in verse 13, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do. And actually, when you look at that phrase in the original Greek, it's, it's a gritty phrase because it's, it literally it states, um, I will not be denied. 
I will not be denied. I will pursue this goal relentlessly, ruthlessly, with absolute determination. In fact, uh, the, the tense here of the, of the word, the verb to do, uh, is an ongoing verb. In other words, this is something that I have been doing, one thing I'm going to continue to do, and I'm going to continue to do and continue to do in an ongoing way. And then that determination is sort of magnified when he adds this phrase, I press on. I press on. In fact, it's interesting because that word press on that verb in the Greek is an, is an interesting term. It's actually used in some uh, portions of Greek literature to describe an animal that is hot in pursuit of its prey, hunting for its prey. It's, it's hungry. It, it is relentless in its pursuit. In fact, there's one instance where that exact same Greek verb is used to describe an, uh, an army that is in pursuit of its enemy. That there's a hunger there, there's an intense desire. This is a, a, a notion that of single-minded resolve to not let anything get in the way of finishing this race. This one thing I do. And the prize for this race, the prize for this race, Paul says, is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, what's that? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus. It's a phrase that simply means this. Paul understands that the destiny of all of us who follow Christ, all of us who pursue Christ, not because of any kind of phony righteousness of our own, doing all the right things, not doing the bad stuff, but really behaving ourselves, not because of any righteousness of our own, but because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, because we have faith in God. It is the promise, the assurance we have that we're going to be called to him that there will be an upward call from heaven, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We'll be invited together to live in the kingdom of God. I don't know what you think about, what you imagine when you look at the, at the world on this morning uh, of 2018, but there's a promise that awaits those of us who pursue Christ. And it's a promise, the sure and certain promise of a coming kingdom, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's prize, worthy of all-out pursuit, and, and that is Paul's full and certain intention. My prayer this morning, as we look at this passage for a few minutes, just before we begin this kind of new lap into a new year, is we might this morning, we might this morning dare to make that I resolve as well, which is why it's important for us to think about what does it actually mean then to be single-minded in our pursuit of Christ. This one thing I do. And when you look at this text, right off the bat, the very first observation that we would make is that Paul's very practical. He understands that single-minded pursuit is not going to be easy. This is a tough run. And so right off the bat, he tells us that one of the absolute essentials for single-minded pursuit is to forget what lies behind to forget what lies behind. Again, look back at the text, verse 13. This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind. I, uh, before I went to teach uh, at Eastern University, teach youth ministry, I taught there for 35 years, some of you know that this was my very first fall at a new school, Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania. It's been a fantastic experience teaching Christian ministry. But before I actually began to teach youth ministry, I served as a youth pastor uh, in um, 
the United Methodist Church in Wilmore, Kentucky. Some of you know this place. And, um, and we had a tradition on our ministry team where at least once a year, uh, usually two or three times a year, we do something just for the leaders together, just for us to have fun kind of team building experience. And one of our traditions was to every year run the Big South Fork of the Cumberland River, which is right on the Kentucky uh, Tennessee border. It's part of the National uh, Scenic Wild River System. It's a beautiful place. It's considered to be a river unnavigable most of the year um, because it's not enough water, but uh, in the spring runoff, uh, there's not only plenty of water, but, uh, but it's fast water and it's deep water and it's wild water and it's beautiful scenery. And so every year, me and the guys and, and, and women on my team, we would run this race. It, it started about 4.30 in the morning. We pile in the van. We drive two or three hours to get down there. And I remember this particular morning as we got down near the river, got out of the van, started walking towards the riverbank, we could already hear the roar of the water. So we knew uh, it was going to be uh, deep and fast. It was going to be kind of a fun day. Um, we got down to the riverbank. Uh, there were several uh, rafts laid out there by the outfitters. Uh, everybody kind of gathering, convening, talking quietly, nervously, uh, with some excitement in the air. And, and, and it wasn't long before the guides called everybody over to this one area where we convened, and they made a couple of announcements. And one of the announcements they made was this. They said, look, uh, we didn't realize we we're going to have this many people running the river this morning. Uh, and, and so we don't actually have a professional guide for all of the boats. But uh, we, we were wondering if any of you have ever uh, maybe run this river before, then perhaps you could act as a guide for your raft. And I, <laughs> River Robbins, uh, I, uh, I raised my hand and said, yes, I do. And, and I began to notice that uh, my teammates were moving quickly to other boats. And I said, hey, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I can do this. We're in this thing together. And, uh, and so begrudgingly, they started to walk back towards me. Uh, and we, we, sure enough, we got in the raft. And actually, the first part of the trip went, went fine. Uh, that was when I lost my bathing suit. Just kidding. But uh, no, the first part of the raft uh, trip was great. Uh, the water was deep. The troughs were high. I, I mean, it, the water was chocolate brown, which suggests a lot of current, right? It's stirring up all the sediment in the water. Everything's going great. But an hour after we had stopped for lunch, I see this guy standing up on a rock ahead of us, waving everybody over like this to the riverside, kind of into a, what's called an eddy, a place where the, there's no current. And so we, we get out over there and explain that this next section of uh, the run was very, very intense. And so uh, we, would, we would need to run it uh, one boat at a time. That way, they said, if anybody capsizes, you know, we, we don't have to fish too many people out of the water at once. Uh, they also explained that because the intensity of this uh, run through the canyon, um, that they wanted a professional guide in each boat. And so uh, that's great. We, we went up to the top of the canyon wall. We kind of looked down and we could see this ribbon of white uh, running through the canyon. And, uh, and they explained to us the danger areas and sort of the way you had to run this river. And, and, uh, and everybody feels excited, a little bit nervous, uh, but exhilarating. We go back down and we wait our turn. And each time as we saw a new raft kind of disappear into the canyon, it was only a matter of moments before we could hear screams bouncing off the canyon walls and, uh, and, and, and uh, shrieks. And then an absolutely soaked guide would walk back down the trail and say, okay, next boat. I remember when it was finally our turn, uh, we're, we're all pumped and we're about the fourth or fifth boat to go. So we have some sense of what is in for us. Uh, we get in the boat because I had been the guide in the boat. I had been in the very back of the raft. I think enough of you maybe have been rafting before you understand how that works. The guy's going to sit in the very back rear portion of the raft. 
But because we now had a professional guide in our boat, thank you very much, I moved around to the left uh, corner of our raft. We set out on the river and we began to paddle. And, uh, and at first it was pretty tranquil. We really haven't gotten into the core of the current, but it was only a matter of time before we could begin the river uh, pick up its speed and we could get a little bit louder roar from the canyon. And at that point, the, the, the guide reminded us once again, and I said, when I tell you to paddle, I want you to paddle, paddle hard. Because for those of you who haven't ever been whitewater rafting, uh, you, you, you probably, maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't, but, but when you go over a waterfall, when you go through a rapid like that, um, if you don't clear, you have to paddle hard because you want to clear the rapid. Because if you don't clear it completely and wholly, what's going to happen is the back of your raft is going to just get, just get smothered by this, this volume of water that's dropping down. And, uh, and it's enough water that can actually pull your boat down from behind. That's called a hydraulic. And, and strong hydraulics can actually literally keep uh, these huge aluminum canoes submerged for hours. So the idea is to clear the rapid with enough a distance that you're not sucked back down by the grip of the river. We understood this. He just wants to make sure. He says, so when I say dig, you dig. And so sure enough, by this time, you can begin to feel the picking up a little bit. We're clearly getting into the hot spot. And, uh, and, and that's when the roar began to be so loud that you really couldn't hear each other at all. People are tucking their feet in underneath the kind of the bow of the raft. And, and, and now we are ready for the run. And that's when he starts yelling, dig, dig, as loud as he can. Sprays in everybody's face. You can't see, you can't hear. Pull, pull, pull. And that's when it felt like the river just dropped out from under us. We dropped down over this waterfall, probably about five feet, drop down, just smack the surface of the water. And, uh, and that's when he just starts screaming. And he actually, he actually just, just, just yelling, pull, pull, pull. And that's when you can feel it. We were beginning to succumb to kind of the grip of the river and it's starting to pull our boat back a little bit. And, and then the last second, all of a sudden, boom, it kicked out to the right like that and we were clear. The problem was, when we kicked out to the right like that, the guy seated in the left corner portion of the raft <laughs> fell backwards out of the raft. Uh, I wish I could tell you that because of my faith in God, I was rejoicing. Uh, I was not. I, I was essentially, you know how when you're in the spin cycle of your washer? No, no, I, I was essentially just, I was just like all over the place, just everything. Prayer and some I couldn't even. I'm just like Auntie M. Toto. Anything I can remember, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pleading and, and petitioning. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, I, I figured I gotta, I've got to breathe. The water was ice cold, the shock to the system. And so I come up, but I'm underneath the raft. I'm underneath the raft, and nobody noticed there's a small round dome in the floor of the boat. And, and, uh, and, and so uh, I. I kind of go back down again, come back up again. Still nothing there but raft, no oxygen. Uh, and, uh, and now I'm getting really desperate. I mean, it sounds like it's taken an hour or two. It's probably 20, 30 seconds. Uh, I, I presume at this point they're looking for me, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and so anyway, finally, I just, I, I really can't breathe. I, just, I, I think I'm going to die. And so I, I just think I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to inhale. And, and if I drown, I will not be held responsible. And, uh, and, and I just remember at that last second, I come up and just at that moment, I still believe, I really do, that the Lord saved me. But at the last moment, my head popped up above the surface of the water. 
And I gasp in the air, and that's when I can see the boat. They're just a few feet away, and they're going like this. Like I'm going to go, no, I'll stop. And, uh, and, and the water's very refreshing. And, and uh, so I immediately try to go. There was already a life. They have a life uh, thing that they throw out, kind of a life preserver deal. That was already in the water. People who were standing on the rocks were kind of looking for, for the, 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 the swimmer. And, and, uh, and, and I got over to the boat, and they pulled me back in. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where it was pretty dicey there for a couple of minutes. You want to just sort of stop and reflect. Like, I... I think I, I wanted them to go, wait, but let, let's just take a minute and talk about why we love Duffy. And, uh, and, 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 and this is what happened. Uh, I look at my wife who is in tears because she thinks, she, she thinks I'm gone. And as soon as we make eye contact, instead of, hello, I love you, thank God, she thrusts my paddle back in my hand and says, start paddling. <laughs> but see, she couldn't... She, saw what I couldn't see. What I couldn't see was an even bigger drop ahead of us. See, men and women, what the Apostle Paul is reminding us here this morning is that this, this race is intense. I don't know what kind of difficulties you face behind you. I don't know what kind of rapids, what kind of uh, moments when you sort of felt in over your head. I'm quite certain that a lot of us in this room, when you look back in the year 2018, you're looking back at some pretty scary stuff, some hurtful moments, maybe even some betrayals, perhaps some really, really uh, deep, deep questions, even with your faith, maybe with physical illness or the loss of a loved one. I don't know what it is. Paul is saying, look, I'm not saying that stuff not important. I'm just saying you cannot run forward when you're looking backwards. We've got more to run. The race is not yet over. The race is not yet over. One of the, one of the classic uh, hobbies of American culture, Western culture in general, is to cop out on our future by blaming our past, by lamenting our past. And, and, and when something happens to us or we make some sort of re default response or we sort of lapse into a very familiar pattern, whatever that pattern might be, our response is, well, you don't, you don't understand this. This is because of that back there. And then this, Paul is saying, look, there's no denying that these incidents in our past can be quite formative and quite difficult and quite painful. We understand that. But if we're going to go forward, we can't continue to look backwards. We have to forget what lies behind there. going, but Duffy, that's, that's fine for you. But you don't know what I faced in my past. You don't know what my life was like growing up. You, you, you don't know how, how close to home that Me Too thing felt for me. You don't know the hurt, the betrayal. You don't know my pains, and that's true. And I'm quite sure Paul wouldn't suggest to any of us this morning that we bury this stuff alive. But he would say to bury it, to bury it. To put off the old, put on the new. You say, well, that's, that's kind of trite. That's kind of, I mean, how, how do you, what do you mean just bury it? Well, I think specifically, in just practical terms, two ideas. One, it's not going to sound particularly spiritual, but it's counseling. It's counseling. It's, it's, it's seeking help. Right here at FaithBridge, we have resources. You can call the, the office later this week or next and say, look, I, I, I've got some stuff in my past. I can't run forward because I keep looking backwards. I need help. 
And it might be the most spiritual thing you can do is not pray harder, not read your Bible more, but go talk to some people. Maybe some folks in a small group, your small group, who can kind of help you share that burden of running this race together because we can't make it alone. But I also know that in scripture, quite often we're reminded that our greatest pains are the wounds that are self-inflicted. Choices we've made that we can't unmake. Words we've spoken. Think about the last months of your life. Choices you've made that you can't unmake. And it's like a weight on your leg as you try to think about running forward. Regrets, remorse, guilt. And in that case, the answer is not counseling. Perhaps the simple answer, but absolutely critical, is confession. Confession. To go to God. This word confession comes from two Greek words. It means say the same thing. In other words, God, you call this sin, that's what it is. I messed up. I, I, I got off the course. I, I went out of bounds. I, I stumbled. I stopped. I turned around started going a different way. Whatever it was, you just come clean with God and confess your sin. It's not because uh, of what those people did or what they did. or my, you know, my brother locked me in the bathroom when I was a child. My mom maybe wore bow ties to school. I, it, it, it's not all that stuff may have happened. But it's because I made choices that are counter to your will for me. Confession. And men and women, the great news, the great news of the gospel is because of Jesus' death on the cross, that blood can wipe away our sin. Maybe you're here this morning, and this is a new idea for you. You, 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 you don't quite get This is the core of the good news. It's put this way in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Why is it justice? Because his son Jesus paid the debt for those sins. He's faithful. He loves us. He's merciful. He forgives us all our sins, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And that little three-word all is so huge, isn't it? All unrighteousness frees us up. I'm reminded of that scene in Pilgrim's Progress when John Bunyan describes Christian coming up this steep hill with a burden on his back and then he gets to the cross and all of a sudden the burden is lost and it rolls all the way down to the hill until it falls into a deep, deep hole, a sepulcher, and it's forgotten there. As you look at the race, as you look at that which is behind you, what great news is that this morning? Paul says, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. But then he gives us one other phrase that's really critical. He says, this one thing I do, look back at the text, forgetting what lies behind and straining to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Straining to what lies behind. Uh, how many of you in the room this morning have ever been snow skiing? Let's see a show of hands. Have you ever been snow skiing? All right. I know it's not a, a, a huge sport in Texas. Uh, if you've ever been snow skiing, you know that uh, when, you, when you're given instructions on that very first day, uh, you're out there on the slope, uh, one of the instructions you're given uh, is that you need to put your weight out over the tips of the skis. Uh, you need to lean forward like this because, because uh, 
your, your natural tendency would be, I think, it certainly was for me, when you go down the hill the first time, if you ever remember that day for you, um, it's, it's quite scary because you have an, uh, an enemy here, it's called gravity, and, uh, and it, is, uh, it is taunting you and teasing you to move forward. And, uh, and if you lean forward, it seems like a concession. Uh, it, it seems like a surrender to gravity, and who knows where that might take you. Meanwhile, when you're there on the slope, these little kids are zooming by you uh, on all sides. You know, and you want to take your pole and go, and uh, I mean, they're just zooming by you. And, uh, and, and so they say, no, 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 you, 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 I know what you want to do. What you want to do is you want to sit back like that. So you want to kind of, your, your tendency is to think, no, I'm going to sit back and let my skis go first. And if they make it, I will follow them. And, uh, and, 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 and the problem is, if you do this, uh, you will almost always fall backwards. You will almost immediately, your, feet, your, your skis are going to go right out in front of you, you're going to go fall backwards. And, uh, and, and it's, I, my very first run, Beach Mountain, North Carolina, I'm finally ready to make my first attempt on the hill. I precisely this, I kind of sit back on the skis, let my skis go. I fell backwards so hard that I bounced forward. In fact, people say to me, what, what was that first run like? And I said, well, snow, sky, snow, sky, snow, sky, snow, sky. I, mean, I remember I actually came to a stop, uh, and, and when I opened my eyes, there was a little girl pointing at me and crying. And, uh, and, and her mom said, stop staring at that poor man. But that, that is the exhilaration of skiing. But, but you see, the principle is very simple. The way to keep your balance when you're going down the hill is you lean into the risk. You lean into the risk. And what Paul wants us to understand about the Christian life is a very, very fundamental principle. If you want to remain balanced in your race with Christ, if you want to be able to make this journey long-term and finish the race, I know it's scary, but you gotta lean into the risk. Lean into the risk. You say, well, what do you mean by risk? I don't know what it means for you. I don't know what it might mean. It might mean, it might mean for example, just like we saw this morning, it might mean saying, you know, I'm going to volunteer to, to work with the Young Lives Ministry. Or I'm going to start to work with the youth group. Or maybe I'm going to uh, just get involved in a small group. I'm not very, I'm kind of nervous around a bunch of people. But I'm going to be involved in more, more intimately in the life of our community here at Faith Bridge. I don't know what it might mean. It might mean a choice at work. It might mean giving your, uh, being more bold about your faith in school. It might be just be changing, you know, how you describe yourself on Facebook or Instagram. I don't know what it might mean. But I know this, that we cannot maintain balance in the Christian life without leaning into the risk. There's an interesting parable Jesus tells in Luke chapter nine. Um, he was walking down the road, the disciples, and he talks about uh, this guy that comes up to him and says, look, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says to him, well, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And so that kind of, kind of, that guy kind of backs away. To another, he says, follow me. But the guy said, Lord, I want to follow you, but let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury the dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Got to move forward. And then to another, he comes up to Jesus and says, I will follow you, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, look, nobody who puts his hand to the plow and looks backwards is fit for the kingdom of God. Three people coming to Jesus, none of them willing 
fully to lean into the risk. I remember when I did this with my youth group, we studied this passage of scripture uh, as, a, as, a kind of a, as a kind of a study activity. I asked them to think of a name, a movie name for a movie made about this passage. And, and there were some great suggestions. There was Three Stooges, uh, Three Amigos, Three Blind Guys. My favorite was Three Men and a Maybe. Uh, three men and a maybe. It's a passage that reminds us that the Christian life is to be lived all in. Leaning forward, lean into the risk. See, Paul understands for most of us, our tendency to say, Lord, I, like, I, I want to I like, you know, support the church, but like, don't ask me a tithe. I mean, like, Lord, I really want to be involved in everything. I want to give my life to you, but can we not do it on Sunday mornings? Uh, Lord, I, like I totally want to follow you, but uh, but I, I you know I'm dating this guy right now, and he doesn't really like me to talk about spiritual stuff. And, and see what happens is we kind of get into this this pattern of I love you, but I would, but I'd like to, but and you know what happens when we try to live the Christian life like that? We fall on our butts. Got to lean into the risk. It's not enough to forget what lies behind. We need to strain to what lies ahead. Paul says, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining to what lies ahead, I press on. I press on for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I think probably one of the most dramatic race stories that I've ever heard is a story that played out in the 1992 Barcelona Olympic Games. We begin this morning with a story of a runner. Let me close with a story of a runner. This guy's name is Derek Redman. Uh, Derek Redman had actually had a tragic uh, story in his preparation for the Olympics. Twice he had tried to compete in the Olympic Games. Twice he had to drop out because he had torn his hamstring. Two times, think about it, all that preparation, all that work, all that blood, sweat, and tears, and twice before he got to the big race, he had to drop out. I mean, for anybody else, it probably would have been enough to say, you know what, maybe this is just not my thing. But not Derek Redmond. He was committed to running this race. And so finally, in the 1992 Olympic Games, he gets his shot. And he's in the 400 meters semifinal. And you know the scene, you've watched enough Olympic telecast to know how it happens. These runners are there in the blocks and they're lined up and there's kind of that pre-race moment when the announcers give us that very quick little, little biographical sketch of each of the runners one at a time and we zoom in on their faces and think of their country and their people and their families back home and the nation that runs with them and supports them and, and, and that's when they gave us that quick little sketch of Derek Redman. He tried to run before, couldn't be in the race because of, the, because of the competition, because of the hamstring pull, he couldn't make it. And then the gun sounds. And these guys start around the track and it's a very, very fast race and everybody's in a tightly packed clump of runners. They're making their way around and somewhere on the back side of the raceway, all of a sudden we see one of the runners pull up, jerks his head back up and grabs the back of his leg. And immediately, the announcers tell us it's Derek Redman. Turns out lightning has struck a third time. Once again, at the most important race of his life, he's torn his hamstring. He collapsed to the track. Of course, all the rest of the pack passes him by. They run. They complete the race. There are cheers. There are screams. But now the camera 
takes us back to the drama that's being played by this one man. A bigger drama than a medal, a bigger drama than a game. This guy writhing in pain on the track and you can see the lines of, of, of agony and disappointment etched in his face. The announcers are almost afraid to speak because it's, 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 it's in some ways the, the, a solemn moment. And then all of a sudden, the world watches as this guy staggers to his feet. And some of you who were watching that day, you remember this moment. He actually staggered to his feet, grabbed the back of his leg, and starts limping to the finish line. Like He's going to finish. He's going to finish this race. And now people around the stands, people of all nations and nationalities, everybody begins to stand up. He's getting a a huge ovation because this is is the grit. This is the determination. This is single-minded. This is why we watch these games. And then just when you think it couldn't get any better, all of a sudden, somebody jumped out of the stands and ran out on the track, went right over to Derek Redman, put Derek Redman's arm around him, and helped him make it the rest of the way to the finish line. That guy in the stands, it turns out, that was Jim Redman. That was Derek's dad. That was his father. I never forget, later after the race, this old guy, he's not used to the paparazzi and the flash and the lights, but of course the reporters wanted to find out what was it? What was it that drove you to run out there, to break through security, to risk your own safety, to get out there next to your son? And I'll never forget this old guy. He looks in the camera, he says, when I saw my son determined to finish this race, I knew I was not gonna let my child run alone. Men and women, I don't know what kind, of, what kind of stuff you see looking backwards in the 2018, 2017. None of us knows what kind of stuff we're going to see looking ahead to 2019. But here's the absolute promise that the scripture gives us. We can know this with certainty. Your father in heaven is not going to let you run alone. He is with us. That's what Emmanuel, that's what the word became flesh. That's what Christmas is about. God is always with us. So what? I'll tell you what. We forget what lies behind. We strain to what lies ahead. And we press on for the call of the prize of God in Christ Jesus. This morning as I close in prayer, as we begin together to, to sort of finish out this last Sunday with worship as a community, I wonder if there's some of you, maybe you want to just take some time to come up here to the front. You say, Lord, I got some stuff I want to leave behind. I've got, some, I've got some concerns about going ahead that I want to give into your hands. And we have some folks who would love to, to talk with you and maybe you just want to have some time to pray but I want to invite you. Maybe you've never even ever, maybe you're just here visiting. This is a new thing for you. But you're going, I, I, I don't know, but one thing you said struck me. I want that burden off my back by the power of the cross. I want to know that freedom so I can run.
so I can run the race that's set before us, so I can know the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Whatever it is that God's moving in your heart, what his spirit moves in you, I want to invite you right now to listen to him. Paul says, let us hold true to what we have gained. And if there's something God needs to say to you, he will make that clear to you. Listen, listen. Lord, we are stunned by the great news this morning of this God who is so committed to being with us, to running the race with us, to coming alongside us, even with our limping, even those times we go off course, even those times we slow our pace, when we are timid about moving forward, you are there with us. And so, Lord, in response to that kind of love, not because we think we need to earn that kind of love, but because we are grateful for that kind of love and faithfulness, this morning we press on for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I pray for folks here this morning who need to forget, who need to forget what lies behind, and maybe they'll never fully, totally, truly forget. Scars will be there. Memories will be there. But give us the freedom of healing, of laying aside the burden of resentments and guilts. Lord, help us to forget what lies behind. And for all of us, Lord, as we look at what lies ahead, the mysteries, the questions, the doubts, the concerns, the worries, maybe it's family, maybe it's work, maybe it's physical stuff, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's just hassles and stresses of everyday life. Would you help us, Lord, to lean into the risk, to know the joy, the exhilaration, the adventure of obedience to you. Thank you, Father that wherever we are in this race this morning, starting line, finish line, somewhere just started, somewhere near the end, whatever it might be, you're not, you're not gonna let your child run alone. You are right there with us. We pray this, Lord, with thanksgiving. In the name of Jesus, who is the captain, the leader, perfecter of our race. And all God's people said, amen.